Welcome to Stop Your People Need You. I am Luke Hall and with me as always is Danny. Yo. And I am very excited to say that as promised in December and on last week's episode, we have a special guest with us today. Her name is Leanne Hamley. She is the director of Culture Creator and co-founder of What the Book and soon to be published author of The Golden Threat. Hi. Hello, Leanne. What a title stroke introduction. That's crazy. That's very crazy. It's a mouthful. Danny, you were saying you think we need to add OBE at some point. Oh, look, it's got to be on the way. I just think that, you know, there's just so much going on in Leanne's life that OBE must be on the next list. So I'll look out New Year's Honours List 2021. Thanks, Danny. I was just about to add technically inept with the challenges I've just had. Yeah, on. yeah, absolutely. We won't <laughs> tell anybody that it's taken us about 45 minutes to get to the point of being able to start yeah. recording this <laughs> podcast today. That's an exaggeration. <laughs> Slight exaggeration, but we've had a few technical issues indeed. Well, Leanne, thank you uh, for joining us. And also thank you for taking the time to listen to the previous episode. I know you listened to Ah, pod. Um, But we asked you to go back and and listen to the previous episode, uh, which was based around should we be seeking discretionary effort? Mm. We've listened back to it a few times. And I must say, we got a little bit excited and ended up uh, prompting a second part to that. There may even be a third, who knows, because I think the subject itself can just continue and continue and continue. It's amazing uh, to be able to talk about it with you. I guess as a starting point then, Leanne, what were your reflections on that particular episode? Um, well, it, it's a great episode. And actually, I do. I love your podcast. So thank you for letting me join you today and join the conversation. Um, I think discretionary, discretionary efforts straight away, it, it's the language that we're using. And I probably like would want to put it into kind of more plain terms, which is, for me, discretionary effort is an engaged employee. Um, mm. Because when you've got that sense of purpose and you've got an, employ- an employee who's engaged with the organisation, they want and they have the desire to do more. So yeah. there was a bit for me which was about the language we used. Um, you, you had some absolute gems in there. And I love the debate because actually this is a debate what's right and what's wrong and also how does discretionary effort fit within an organization and consciously how are organizations shaping a culture um that has that conversation on the table so what you're doing is bringing it to the fore which is amazing um, and really useful for businesses to really reflect on how they how they reward discretionary effort or how they use it or whether they have it at all I, I think. Oh, sorry. I'm just yeah, go on. We're, we're already in the in the thought yeah. process of that. It, on, it's interesting the way you position that, Liam, because it's one of those things that's in the back of my mind always niggled away a little bit, really, because it's sort of this this concept of expecting more from somebody or somebody giving more than what's required or whatever we we whatever we get to in this conversation. But actually, people do it because they want to do it. That's when it really works, isn't it? You want to do it because actually you enjoy what you do. I always go back to the job I do. I love what I do. So putting in some extra hours is nothing for me because I enjoy every bit of it. And that's got to be something to celebrate in all of this is that that, that word engaged, the person's absolutely feels a part of what they are doing. has got to be a good thing, right? 
Yeah. And I, you know, we only have to go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. And an engaged employee is someone who's got to that self-actualization. But when you get to the top of the pyramid, you don't just get there. You've got to keep getting there. You've got to keep that self-actualization process has to continue to happen. And it happens when that employee is engaged with the organization and a leader and is feeling fulfilled in the role that they're doing. And they've got the purpose aligned to it. Yeah, and what I love about your opening piece and reflections on it, Leanne, and also what you've just said there is not once have you referred to it being something that uh, that either a leader or an organisation can achieve or, or look for in people. It was everything you've said is almost what's been put in place, and and in turn that is a res- it's a result of those things but it's not something ever that people are seeking which was obviously that first title that we had it is it's more than that discretionary effort is one of many things that you will achieve and i think this is we're getting there quite quickly but this is where we got to danny wasn't it yeah that, act- yeah. that actually fundamentally we focused in and, and, and lasered in on the, the leader and the role that they play and how they can achieve it and some of the things that they can do but the biggest thing for me, as, as from an experience perspective, and I said this on the last uh, on the last episode, is a lot of my discretionary effort in, has come from uh, the giving of that to an individual, a leader that inspires me, a colleague that I want to go that extra mile for. I guess what we're looking to uh, explore with you, Leanne, and obviously you've already started that for us, is how do businesses achieve that? Mm. As a, as a group. Yeah, and I think a real, real current example is Dyson. So okay. you think early days of the pandemic, Dyson absolutely had to pivot and they changed their entire kind of dynamic of where they were heading with their product line. And discretionary effort, employee engagement, I think what we've got to remember is Dyson suddenly had a different purpose. Their purpose was to get the ventilator. We absolutely, you know, get it created so that it could be mass produced to support the UK. And in doing that, I would imagine having a complete shared purpose like that. All of a sudden, you've got employees who would have hand over fist done anything because it was a shared purpose. It was a communicated purpose. And there was such a compelling reason. So for me, that is probably one of the first initial go-to examples I would use of how an organization, when they've really got it nailed and you've got the motivation of the employees aligned from a cultural respect to what that purpose is, that's when you're going to get what you're looking for. I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I just I, I love that Dyson example, and, and you're absolutely right about how they gear up almost to kind of the business says we're suddenly doing this, and then all of a sudden everybody gets on board with it. Um, and, and I, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about just, and I think we talked about um, this in quite detail. But what are the two words? Discretionary effort, discretionary choice. Effort is the, the above and beyond. It's the bit that we put in that's you know what people weren't expecting. Um, and just at that same time, I think back to the. You know, when they were looking for the NHS volunteers and they said, you know, that 
you know, who will help us. We're hoping to find 250,000. And I think in the first 24 hours, something like 1.4 million people registered. Because again, it's that people choosing to want to do something to make a difference. They buy into the, to the vision. They buy into the purpose. It's got a reason that connects with them emotionally. It's not just a logical, I need this job doing. That doesn't really cut it, does it? You know, it's like, well, so what? You need the job doing. If I connect with something and it, and it means something to me, then my, desire willingness to want to do it is tenfold and i guess that's probably what happened you know when dyson did that i love that i love that almost people sort of banging on doors saying what do you want me to do mm. not oh can i have a couple of weeks off to lie in my garden because that sounds really cool mm. do you see that which i think in some organizations would have been the case you know I, I know i had a few conversations at the time of people going they saw it as oh this is great i get a few weeks off to sit in my garden but i bet the people in dyson weren't having that conversation I think what's interesting is that is a, a very current example and the purpose for that is is extremely individual to the now, uh, the pandemic and being able to help move past the pandemic is something that I think a lot of people would want to do. Mm. I guess not many businesses set out without a purpose. And mm -hmm. I think I find that quite interesting. In fact, there's a lot of organizations I've worked with. I've gone, God, I wish, you know, I could, I, I could work for an organization like that. The purpose they have, the meaning behind it, but yet they still, they still struggle culturally to get people to buy into that. There's almost a, an over engineering that has to happen because they're, they're trying to undo some of the things that have been set in over time, mm -hmm. causing challenges, distracting. What are the distractions then? Okay, well, what are the what distracts people away from those purposes? Because I think a lot of businesses have them, but maybe are not living towards that purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's a it's a great question, a great challenge, and I think there is a real piece around how you reward and recognise, and I think there's a bit that um, Danny just meant about doing the job. So. We, we are employed by our job roles, our job specs, not by our what we should be delivering. So is there a challenge around actually where you've got a role and a role profile and it says this is what you will be. This is a result of you being part of this organisation and how that is intrinsically linked to the organisation. Then people aren't doing the roles and responsibilities that have been listed in black and white. They are trying to achieve a result. So have we been writing role profiles for many years in the wrong way? Interesting. And, and then for me, the, the next part to that is then how do you reward and recognise people? Again, so what is your performance management strategy? And we know this has been turned on its head. You know, the whole history of where performance management came from and where it's evolved over the latter years. And now everybody's kind of tossing it out with the dishwater, but... Actually, what culture are you defining by the way you recognize and reward your people? Because that's going to be, if, if someone's doing their role and you go, oh my God, that person is doing the best that they can do, their circumstances in their personal life might be very different to somebody else who is trying to do the best that they can do. So who can say that is discretionary effort? There's a level of subjectivity there. So what are you recognising as great performance or discretionary performance versus somebody who's not? Mm. 
Yeah, and <laughs> that's really interesting because there was a an example that I used that came from the Aubrey Jan- Daniels Institute in the first episode, and they had this axis of you know x and y axis, and I won't go over it again, but there was this whole concept around the minimum required effort that have to do, and then the above and beyond. And that just confused me. But on one of the axes, you had sort of effort, I think it was on one, and then overtime on the other. And I think sometimes, like you said, discretionary effort is empowered employees. I love that. Because actually, what what if, if I was to say to those listeners now, what is the first thing? In fact, I'll ask you both traditionally, because I know that obviously, Leanne, you think it's not this, but what would be the traditional first thing you think in your mind when you think of the word discretionary effort? Does, you know, what, what, so the listeners, what pops into their mind, it would normally mean some, I've envisaged someone sat there at their desk, no one else around late at night. Yeah. Extra hours, isn't it? But it's way more than that. It's way more than that. It's, it's funny as well. I just listened to that, that example and those, those, those things. I'm taken back to, um, probably 25 years ago in my first real proper job that I had. Um, and my boss, who was the, he was the boss and he was the owner of the company. He took no mercy at all. I mean, he just had, he, he never dressed anything up. He just told you the way it was. Um, and, and I used to put a lot of effort in, you know, I was working really, really hard and people around me were, in my opinion, working half as hard as I was yet seemingly getting away with it. And he always, you know, sort of say to me, you know, what else are you doing? And I'm like, hang on a minute, you know, why don't you want to pop over them? And, um, I remember him saying to me once, he said, Danny he said, there's a difference between your 100% and theirs. Mm-hmm. And, and I went, what? And he went, your idea of 100% is different to their idea of 100%. That's, that's all it is. And I went, yeah, but I do more. He went, no, 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 you, just your 100% is different to theirs. And yeah. so that's what it's defined by. And I can remember me going, you know, almost like, <clears throat> sort of muttering under my breath. He went, anyway, you love it. And I remember him, I can still remember 25 years ago, his word saying, you love it. And the point was, he was right. You know, I enjoyed that person that did more. I enjoyed being the person that kind of knew that actually, you know, I was pulling more of the strings and that. And he recognised that actually there was no issue with it because... I was enjoying being that, but even though I moaned, I didn't really moan. I was just having a bit of a whinge about something just to get it off my chest, but it actually didn't really matter to me because it wouldn't stop me from doing what I was doing. And I think that's where this becomes really kind of, it's quite self-rewarding, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. Yeah, people that kind of feel good because of what they're doing. And that's got to be important, hasn't it? And I think the difference there from a leadership perspective is you've got the recognition. and the re- And for me, this is, there are, where you've got a team of leaders who are managing the performance of those teams, unless they have alignment and understanding of what is discretionary effort or what is somebody working at their full capacity, I think where it breaks culturally is where there is a massive disalignment. And one leader is sat there going in, you know, a talent review or a performance review, well, no, this person is doing X, Y, and Z. Well, if that person is working at their full capacity and you're asking about somebody else, what 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 is the difference? So mm. I think there has got to be, you know, a real education with leaders or that alignment in terms of what do we believe this is? How do we manage it? How do we maximize our people so that they are motivated and engaged with us as a business? I think what's also interesting about your point is when he said you love it, he was so confident because he knew you. Yeah. Mm. And that's a great leader. Someone that some people could see that they, he was maybe pushing the right buttons and getting the most out of you. 
I love that question as a takeaway. What is your, what are your people's hundred percent? Yeah. Individually. Yeah, but he yeah. knew you with confidence. There was almost an air of arrogance of you love this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's it's really like, cool because he knew yeah. you. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure if he was if he was on this conversation now, he'd say, Yeah, you you thrived off all that. What you moaning about? The fact you created every bit of that yourself. It wasn't what I was telling you to do. It was it was you. And it was almost like he probably you're right in what you say, knew me. I, I think knew how to push the buttons as well. He knew how to kind of almost light a bit of a fire underneath yeah. me. But ultimately I would then enjoy that. So I'd, I'd moan at the time, oh, more stuff for me to blink and do. And then I'd go off and enjoy doing it and go, oh, check me out, see all the things I've done. Because see, told you. You know, that was what it was about, that sort of reciprocating cycle, um, I guess. But but interesting on this whole point is um, I stayed working there for, in fact, I worked for John for um, about eight years before I joined Orange. Um, and the reason why I left was because I felt he started to take the mickey um, and that was, it went beyond me being in control of it and, and beyond, and, and there were certain things that happened at that time whereby it was like, uh, it really made me say, hang on a second, you know, you know, I've never been sure. And, and I needed something back at the time. I needed a little bit to take a bit back. Um, and it wasn't for very long. My, my uh, youngest daughter at the time wasn't very well and was in hospital and I needed some time back. And, and I remember him putting an immense amount of pressure saying, but what about us? And I said, I don't care about you. And that was the turning point for me. It kind of, and I still to this day say it ruined the relationship, that discussion, because it was like, hang on a second. I've always been there and I've always put this effort in. I've always put 100% in. And now I want you to give me that privilege back. And I think, you know, it was interesting in years that followed where um, I picked up a conversation. He said, I made a mistake that day. I said, you did. You did. Because it was... You know, and and I guess a bit of humility there and recognising he made the mistake. But, you know, that can be a costly mistake for a leader. Absolutely. A really costly mistake. And yeah, I'm, I, well, I'm already scared of time. Um, like, we're at 18 minutes. We promised 25. We're going to get there. And if we have to put another part in, Leanne, I'm kind of putting you forward. For it. However, <laughs> I, I kind of want to pull it together if we can and focus in on you, Leanne, because when it comes to culture, you love that subject so much you wrote a book about it. Yeah. So for the listeners, for us, um, if you think about some of the roles that you've had in the past, and you've had some big roles, a lot of people in your team, Leanne, looking after a lot more people within an organization, whether you're starting with a new team or whether you've got a team that you think has some challenges for, for as a leader and as a business, where, where do you think some of the key areas of focus need to be and perhaps thinking about the times we're in now what do you think is most relevant and most important for the employees colleagues and 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 leaders out there oh my god that's a massive question um (laughs) i think it's always understanding what firstly for me it is that conscious decision about the culture of the organization that you're trying to create or the culture of the team that you're trying to create so I mean, the competing values framework is a phenomenal framework for anybody who wants to explore this. And it kind of shows you um, it's it's competing values. So you can't have one against you can't can't have one against the other. Um, So you can be internally focused or externally focused. You can be um, a very focused, structured organization or a very flexible organization. So. 
And then you've got four values that fit into there, which is you collaborate, you create, you control and you compete. Now, if you're working in an organization, which is a create organization, you're externally facing because basically you want to do things first. You want to get things first to the market. So you're a very flexible, agile organization. So the companies that have thrived through the pandemic are probably going to be organizations that sit in that um, quartile. Now, for me, is that the culture you want? Do things first. It's external focused. You are agile. You are fast to innovate. Now, the type of people you're recruiting to fit into that mold have got to be the agile thinkers, the adopters, the uh, resilience you know, their motivation has got to be, right, we want to innovate because actually we want this out there and their purpose is aligned to the business. So, the, and I, I won't go through the four quartiles, but it's just a flavor of what the different um, framework would show you. So for me as a business, actually, what culture do we now need to have? Because the pandemic has thrown everything up into the kind of air. So what culture should we have that is going to be able to allow us to achieve our business goals? So consciously, what does that look like? And then what are the skills that those leaders need to have to fulfill that? Now, there goes the conversation about how do you recognize performance? How do you recognize discretionary effort? How do you reward the people within there? How do we have full alignment that as a team of leaders, we're propelling people with the right motivation aligned to the right values to create the right culture. And I have no idea if I answered your question. (laughs) (laughs) No, you did. Because what, what I love about that is you give us, our listeners, something to go away and really think about. And I I really enjoyed that because there's something tangible there that they can do, think about right away. And I think the reality is it has changed everything and we can't hide behind that. We do have to do things differently. Going back to last week's episode, new doesn't, uh, new or uh, the new things doesn't necessarily mean better. Don't, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, but take some time to think about it if you haven't already. Is is, is that what you're saying at the moment? Absolutely. I think, you know, every person within HR, they've done such an incredible job this year. They've, you know, resilience, well-being. Everybody's trying to look after employees. Um, you know, but in France, I mean, you talked about presenteeism earlier. France have actually brought in laws now to allow people to switch off, that actually they have a right to switch off from tech and everything. So actually, can we do more in the UK to protect our employees' rights? But as an organisation, we're coming out this, we've probably been fairly reactive, but consciously what decision are you going to make around what culture you need to fulfill your organizational um, strategy going forward? Nice. I like that. I, I think for me, the, there's so much to be had by just that stopping and reflecting conversation. And actually is such a similar pattern in so many of these conversations that Luke and I have on here is, much of you know what we end up talking about requires you getting off the hamster wheel doesn't it and and taking a step back and saying actually what is it we're trying to achieve what are we trying to do and and how is the best way for us to get there and and take people on that you know exciting journey to that point you know and it goes back to 
you know, I, I, rem- I remember being taught to recruit behavior over skill. I remember going to a training session on that point, you know, how you look for the right behaviors instead of somebody that had the skills. Um, and it really made you think, you know, it really made you go, what does that really mean? And what, I don't know what behaviors I want. I don't know what I'm looking for. But just the process of going through that, I found to be brilliantly informative and, you know, enabled then you to set yourself up and those around you up for success, which can only ever be a great thing, no matter how you go about doing it. So as we, excuse me, as, as we approach the end of uh, this part two, our first question in the in in December was: Should we be seeking it? Danny, you made it very clear after the first episode. The answer from you was no. I absolutely agree, Leanne. Do you think anybody or businesses should be seeking discretionary effort? If I change the language, should we be seeking employee engagement as an organisation? Absolutely, yes. Nice. Oh, no. I, uh, sorry danny <laughs> no, no it's okay it's good because i like it on that but because because you're i think your point is right but i also agree with mine yes, my I'm, point is it's when a business depends yes it's, it gets to a point of going this person's paid 40 hours a week but i need them to work 50 hours a week otherwise we can't survive that's when it's in a dangerous situation that's when it's really really dangerous yeah in- seeking engaged employees will benefit everybody the business sure. the employee the leader the customer Everybody in, in that, and that life cycle life. benefit and their home life. Everybody yeah. benefits. There's only one person that's, uh, that who is seeking discretionary effort will benefit, and that may be the business, if anything, but that's a short-term view of it. So I think we're all in agreement. And, and, and very, very elegantly put, Leanne, great question uh, to leave our listeners with. So thank you to everybody that is listening. Thank you to Leanne. Uh, for taking yes, the time to join us. Um, hopefully we'll get you again. I know with all the OBEs that will be on their way, hopefully you'll remember this little pod that you joined. Don't uh, <laughs> but no, um, good luck with the launch, uh, the continued launch of your new business, What the Book, um, and also your your actual book release. Have we got a date? Uh, June the 7th on Kindle and June the 8th in stores. How that's like a, that, that's the first time I've said this. This is this real. Is very, very real. I, I, we, we are both very excited to yeah. get our signed copy and read them. <laughs> it's your Christmas present next year. <laughs> it's, my, it's my birthday on the twelfth. So if I get a signed copy of your book, <laughs> <Love you. laughs> right? We will wrap it up there, Leanne. Thank you again. It's been really great to have you thank on. Thank you both. Really loved it. Danny, as always, thank you, sir. Um, And to our listeners, thank you. We will see you in a week's time. Take care. Stay safe. Bye for now. Bye.